Hello and welcome to episode four of the Forever Grind podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Tekio, and I am joined by... Angela Brown. And uh, we know it's been a little while since the last episode, but we've been exceedingly busy. Uh, And some of those things hopefully we'll be able to talk with you here today about. So to start, let's go straight into the news. And uh, I guess I'll I'll lead with that. Um, There's a couple of things that have happened since our last talk. We talked briefly about the Microsoft acquisition in the past. Uh, It looks like that's finally gone through. So um, we can look forward to seeing a whole bunch of Activision Blizzard games on Xbox or on Game Pass in the future. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that because while I like many of their games, I don't often go out and, and spend my hard-earned money on them. Uh, it's interesting that, uh, you know, it's something that should have finished about a year ago, but here we are only seeing it happen now thanks to regulators around the world. So it's been approved by everyone now except for the FTC in America. And, uh, you know, they've lost their court cases multiple times. I think they're going to try one more time. But I think by the time that happens, both companies will be merged and, you know, they'll just get a kick in the pants and waste taxpayer money. Uh, do you do you have any affinity for um, any Activision Blizzard games, Angela? No. no, you weren't a big fan of like Crash Bandicoot or anything back in the past. Don't they own Spyro? I like Diablo. Diablo's fine. Um, I'm not into, you know, like I've played a whole bunch of the Call of Duty games, but I fell off those. Like I'd just play them for the single player, which I guess is not the point of them, you know. But I guess the point no. is the the multiplayer, and I really wasn't into that. Uh, but you know, understanding that they are hugely popular, uh, so I could understand why. They, they also own King. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're the company that puts out stuff like Candy Crush Saga and things like oh. that. So that makes billions of dollars a year, apparently. Um, obviously, we're not in touch with the uh, mobile video game world. But, um, mm. you know, I, I personally would uh, happily accept more games being given to me on Game Pass, uh, assuming I don't have to pay more for it. Um in the news also, there was a little bit of noise around, um, was it, uh, not Epic, it was... Um, Are you thinking of Unity? Unity, thank you. I don't know why I can never think of Unity, but um, if if you're aware or not, uh, there's two main engines that people use to create games nowadays if they're not making their own, and those are Unity and uh, Unreal. And uh, generally the way it works or has worked in the past is that you use these tools to make your game and then you pay a percentage of royalty back to the owners of those tools and all is well in the world. Um, Unfortunately, Unity decided to change their uh, royalty fee uh, a couple of weeks ago. They announced that they were going to change it and it was very convoluted uh they wanted to charge a fee for every install uh and it was a it was kind of a retroactive thing so like you know you could have your game out there you've built on unity already uh you've got a few million people using it and whatnot and what they wanted to do was charge you say 20 cents per install and that means that if you go and install a game today 
and then you finish it and you uninstall it and then you come back in six months time and you install it again they want you to pay another 20 cents so you could see how that could be abused people could write scripts just to install and uninstall games you know let their computer sit there and just churn away um, people don't like the rules changing after they've agreed to them generally I know every time I get a bill uh, in the mail saying we've uh, we've renegotiated how much you're going to pay for this I'm like oh well that makes me sad so I could only imagine you know if you're a small indie developer um, you probably weren't accounting for this kind of royalty you know you were thinking oh I'm just going to pay x percent of whatever I earn which is a good way to do it right because if you earn nothing you pay nothing so uh, no no real risk there but now your game may not sell much, but you could potentially be paying a lot for installs regardless. Um, well, yeah, I saw this impacted through, um, you know, I do I do some work with, with high schools and with universities and um, I was taking a tour of a fantastic, you know, tech school facility, which is, um, there's lots of them here in Victoria. We have a lot of uh, tech schools. So tech schools are, are a place for secondary st students to come and do STEM learning. And it just means that the all of this expensive equipment and um, stuff like that is not located at the school, but it's located at this central hub and then all the schools go to this hub. And so they're really cool places to go to because they've got incredible tech and hardware and some amazing things you can learn, you know, 3D printing and, um, and game design and um, robotics and all kinds of stuff. And so when we were taking a tour of one of them, I asked about Unity because not only this school does um, game programming and, um, you know, but they also do um, use engines for showreels and things like that and animations and all kinds of other stuff. And they said, no, 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 unreal all the way. And it's because Uni Unity really locks them out because that model is really um, better for game designers. But when used in an educational space, it's completely, it's just not feasible. And it's almost like they've uh, set up the pricing and the structure and the subscription models to keep out educational use, which I think is really silly. And if these are your game devs of the future, yeah, it, it's, it's dumb. Yeah, I, I see what they were thinking when they um, implemented it or attempted to implement it. Uh, they were looking at games that have millions of players. For example, uh, what's it called? Genshin Impact. It's probably the biggest game that's done on uh, Unity. And they're thinking, well, there's millions of potential players out there, but we're not making any revenue out of them. Uh, it's a free-to-play game, you know? Um, how, how, I mean, maybe they get a percentage of micro the microtransactions or something. I don't know. But they were probably thinking, well, if we could just charge 20 cents for every person who's installed Genshin Impact, you know, that would be a reasonable way for us to recoup our costs because they're seeing these massive companies out there, you know, doing these things. But it's really, you know, they can probably afford to pay 20 cents per install. But it's the smaller people, like you're saying there, people working in universities and tech schools and stuff like that, who are building not necessarily just games, but applications and stuff um, that are getting absolutely 
hammered by this new licensing model. So I think they've revised it a few times, but they were just very vague about it. People were asking them like, how are you going to protect us against people installing and uninstalling? They're like, oh, well, you can let us know that it's happening and then we'll, we'll <laughs> you know, investigate. And if we find that it's real, then, you know, and it's like, oh, so I've got to trust you. I trusted you mm -hmm. before and now you've just, you know, changed everything. And I'm, And I know that things like Unreal and, and Unity are not just used for game development. They're used for universities. They're used for movies. I think, you know, mm -hmm. if you watch like some of these real big budget TV shows nowadays that they make on like Disney Plus and, you know, HBO and stuff like that, they're actually using Unreal to generate backgrounds and things like that. So um, you got to, of course you want to make money off your product. Um, I think the days of Epic just having um, unlimited money and the days of Unity just having unlimited money are, are probably not there. You know, like everyone was spending big when interest rates were low because you could borrow as much money as you wanted and you didn't really have to pay much back. Um, I think now that the economy is different, tech, tech sectors are, are down, um, you know, they can't continue to boom like they were during COVID. You see now these companies letting go hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, everyone's just probably trying to mm. tighten their belt a bit. But the last thing you want to do is cause developers to run away from your engine and go to the competitor. And it kind of looks like that based on what I've seen people posting online, you know, people saying, oh, we're going to have to redo our game engine now and port everything across. It's not what you want to do. Yeah, and if you're not going to apply some compliance over your new pricing model, people then smell a rat. They're like, mm. well, all you want to do is make immediate money. Um, so what about all of the people who are doing the right thing and, you know, paying you to, um, yeah. you know, to install it every time? Um, what's, what's the consequences for those who do the wrong thing? And so it just leaves a bad, bad taste in your mouth. So you're just going to go to the competitor where life is a lot easier. Mm. Uh, I, it's kind of like piracy, right? Like, um, how do you combat piracy? Well, instead of like trying to litigate people for, for millions of dollars, try and find a way that you can make your product, um, consumable for them. You know, mm. pirates are just customers that you haven't been able to convince spend money right so um yeah I, I don't know what the answer is but that's definitely something that's happened in in the news uh around gaming uh it probably affects people who are planning right now to build games less than people mm. who already have ha have done it um but you know nobody wants a delayed game because someone has to change engines no no Mm. Any, anyway, let's get to the really fun news of this week. What's that? Star Citizen. Oh, that's... The Star Citizen Con. They're very please, bold please. calling it a con, aren't they? It's like Star I Citizen mean, Con. It certainly is a con. <laughs> At least it's uh, correct. Um, so do you want to describe what Star Citizen is? Star Citizen is a money sink where they've managed to fish and convince a whole series of people for the last 10, 11 years to sink money into a game that is not complete. And I'm sure the brain, the uh, people who created this idea, like I'm sure Chris Roberts is sitting somewhere on a Bermuda beach 
sipping pina coladas, but basically Star Citizen was conceptualised as a single-player game as well as a multiplayer um, or, like, you know, massive multiplayer online experience. But the single-player game they started developing, you know, 10 years ago and all the voice acting was done 10 years ago and all of the story writing was done 10 years ago. And they've basically spent 11 years refining it. Uh, And how much money have they made to date? Eight, uh, uh, that they've raised from the public? $612 million, was it? Something like that. And that's just from the public. They've also had private investment and stuff like that. But I think you're, yeah. you're doing an injustice to this. And, and I really? don't want to be litigated. So let's, let's be a little, bit, uh, little bit more generous before we call things a scam outright. Um, I didn't say a scam. <laughs> I said the name of the convention was Star Citizen Con. Yeah, convention. And- you're oh. the one who mentioned that con is probably a title that they shouldn't have. They shouldn't well, I, I wouldn't call it that, you know. I, I backed Star Citizen when they announced it. So for people who don't yes, know, um, there was a company a long time ago called Origin. Origin, not the EA installer Origin that you may be familiar with today. But Origin uh, was a company uh, founded by Richard Garriott who created um, Ultima. That's probably his claim to fame. That we could do a whole episode on Richard Garriott's interesting life. Um, yeah, we're not going to talk about Lord British here today. No, he he did uh, he did sneak uh, Scotty from Star Trek's Ashes, uh, James Dillon's Ashes, onto a space station though. So uh, you know he did some good in the world. Anyways, this company Origin um, it put out a whole bunch of space simulator games uh, called Wing Commander, uh, and you know that starred Mark Hamill in the later you know, FMV games. They were similar somewhat to X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, those kind of games. Uh, They were great. And when they announced that this guy was Chris Roberts who made those, was coming out of retirement to make a new one, I was exceedingly excited. And I plopped down my $110 or whatever it was uh, 11 years ago to get this single player uh, space sim, which I still do not have. Um... what is there to say? They put, they finally put out a trailer and at the end of the trailer, by the way, the trailer looks very impressive. Uh, at the end of the trailer, they said it has, it is, what was it? Feature complete, which I believe is the way you would call something an alpha. I think you do feature complete Mm -hmm. and then they do like another step over the top of it for quality. And then, you know, you get your beta or your release. Um, so I don't know when it's coming. They didn't give a, a date for it, but it is probably the longest running Kickstarter I've ever seen. Um, you know, it's not like you can't log in and play the online game, but they, they spend all their time just chasing these weird technological dreams, like, you know, fancy cloth behavior in the wind and, you know, all these physics and... You know, oh, the bartender needs to be able to, you know, serve 15 different drinks. And we've updated the bartender's AI. And you're like, well, where's the game that I wanted? But um, Yeah, and um, is the game any fun? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of people like me, surely, that prize the game experience and how fun it is over technological achievement. 
Mm. I get the digital foundry exists and that that website exists for people who love the tech side of things. But they've been 11 years down a rabbit hole for a game that hasn't been released. It's it's not a great look. There's something there. There's look there's a lot there if that's what you're into to to go and look at. It's not like they have produced nothing. Well, it's not even inclusive because you need the world's greatest you know, technological hardware to even run the damn thing. And, that, that's true. And it's a, it basically excludes 99% of the population to play it already. But it doesn't exclude the really... people spending the money. So mm. for those of you not aware, the way it kind of works is you, they release ships, you know, different ship configurations and ship types and whatnot. And when they release these ships, you, you can spend real-world money to purchase them. And that is also your sort of ticket into the game. And sometimes the ships are exceedingly expensive. But, you know, if you've got the money, I'm not here to tell you what to do with your money. You can do whatever you want. But I believe that's how they raise most of their money. Yeah, and really, it's an intentional exercise. And some may see the similarities between that and a pyramid scheme. No, no, I, I would never say I would never say that. But it's pretty cynical, um, and what they should do is that if they're going to use that to raise capital, they should produce the single-player game that everyone kickstarted way back when. I still believe. I still believe. And then continue it will happen. to put out fifty thousand dollars ships for rich people to buy. Do that on the side. That's great. Um, and then you can continue that world-building exercise over there. Uh, please put out the game. I, I believe. I believe. In my heart, I believe it will come out one day. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, uh, it, mm. it's the first news on the single-player game uh, since they kick-started it. It's the first real news. So there you go. So if it took us 11 years to get to this point, I'm guessing we're going to see the game in another 12. That's my bet. And by that time, we'll all be dead. By that so, time, I'll have a computer that can run it. Actually, my computer can <laughs> no, run it right won't. now. <laughs> no, you won't. It's going to need, like, the power of a thousand suns to run it. So, yeah. But that's, uh, that's, that's all right. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Mm. So uh, what, have, what have we been up to, though, since the last episode? Well, PAX happened. Oh, yes. In Melbourne. Mm-hmm. It was the 10th year, 11th year. What was it? Uh, 10 year anniversary this year Wow! Mm, so it was kind of fun seeing where it's been and we've been to all of them except for the ones they did over covid they did uh the online. 20 the 2020 online one and uh i think 2021 was online as well and then they returned last year um and we didn't do the online ones because while we like panels panels are kind of in, they're fun when they're interactive and it's a bit weird when you do them online, I think. Mm. So, uh, so, but we've been to all the in-person ones since the beginning. There were some the... good panels this year. I thought, what was the one we went to? Um, was it Acquire? Was that the Japanese company Acquire? Oh, I think they that's had the what they're CEO. called. I, mm. I feel like it was Acquire, but I could be completely wrong. Um, so they, and now I they, feel like I have to look it up. Shinchu, which was uh, a um, like a, a beat 'em up that was released on the PlayStation way back when, and uh, it was really interesting hearing some of the insight to how Tenchu was created and how um, this gentleman 
whose name escapes me right for the moment, <laughs> but he described in detail about his long harbour dream to produce more Tenchu games and how <laughs> he's been, he's actually, uh, his uh, software studio, which I do believe is Acquire, yes, have is. been producing small kickstarted games um, to try and get up enough capital to realise his long-held dream of another Tenchu game. <laughs> but it was, it was fun. It was really fun. That's the kind of stuff that we like and... You know, but I do I do want to make this comment, though. Things have changed in the 10 years that PAX has started. And maybe back when it started, those types of panels would have incited a lot more interest. Mm. Um, however, uh, a lot's changed. And PAX's focus is very firmly uh, as there's two areas that are probably overshot uh, just the traditional kind of console gaming and PC gaming stuff. Um, and that's content creation. Um, so Twitch and... Influencers you know, and... Yeah, influencers and, you know, esports and stuff. Um, and uh, the kind of the revival of tabletop gaming. Yeah. So those two things definitely had the biggest, were centre stage at this PAX. And so the little panels that we go to, that panel we went to... Um, for a choir, probably would have been full 10 years ago and now it was only like a quarter full, but that's fine. just uh, means it's quieter. Mm. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty different scene at PAX these days, but that's all right. Us old timers will still keep going. Yeah, so um, going back to that panel, the gentleman's name was Takuma Endo. Um, um, yeah, and, and he started a choir in 1998. And he was just telling really interesting stories about how he wanted to create a game, uh, you know, and he was trying to ship it around and, and nobody would, would buy it uh, until he went to like Sony Music or something. Uh, not even the game arm. And, and, the, ga and the music um, arm was like used to uh, trying to find new talent and nurture that new talent and whatnot. So he's been running that company now for what, 28 years or something. And he was just talking about how, like, obviously Tenchu was a big hit for them back in the day, but the complexity around Tenchu is that, like, it's owned by three companies. Mm. So he may own the name. This this may not be correct, right? Uh, but he may... No, so I think it was From Software owned the name for Tenchu. Um, he owns the name Stealth Assassins, which was like the Tenchu Stealth Assassins was the subtitle. And then a claim or, or uh, Activision may own the rights in the US to release the games or something like that. So they can't make more because nobody wants to get in a room and work out, you know, the differences. But he was just talking about how difficult it is to, you know, run a, run a studio with like 120 people, uh, which is a small studio, I think, when it comes to games nowadays. And, and still keep it running 20-something years later. And they were just talking about how now they've been making smaller games to put them out faster, you know, uh, rather than working on bigger games, that there's a lot more risk, just so that they can keep the studio going and keep all the people employed. And I think mm. that's great that they're concerned about keeping people employed because, you know, most, most companies only care about shareholder value. So, yeah, yeah. but like you said... Uh, the panels, there's a lot less about, you know, games and with game makers and stuff like that. And there's a lot more panels about 
becoming an influencer, become, you know, building a Twitch audience and, um, I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, half the thing now is the tabletop gaming. And I think it's wonderful that tabletop gaming, um, has had such a resurgence and people seem to love it. I, I don't have the time in my life for, for tabletop gaming. I appreciate it and know that there's some cool games out there, but I've just got too many games to play to, to settle down for hours and hours every day to play a tabletop game. But mm. Yeah, it's a real time and place thing. I think we'd play more of them if our son was into them. Well, he does like them, but a bit of a sore loser. Mm. And if we invest six hours into a game that he loses, which he may just because he's 11 years old, um, then he'll do the the old board game equivalent of, you know. Yeah, no no mercy, no mercy. <laughs> yeah, look, I played Risk with him about six weeks ago for the first time and um, and it ended in the most, in a tantrum for the ages. So I don't know if I want to invest all that time in a board game just to go through that turmoil again. Mm. So I think that's part of it, but also it's just carving up that time in on your weekend when you've got competing priorities. I think if you're a young person and you've got fuck all to do, um, you can dedicate your weekends to it. You can hang out with your friends and, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, I, I could do housework, man. Oh, I don't know. It sucks, but I don't have the time. Mm. Gaming for me exclusively happens after 9 o'clock at night. And, I'm, you know, you can't really board game then physically. Mm. Um, for us anyway. Also, just, you know, nobody's listening to this, but I want to put it out to anyone who organizes packs. Could you? Could we have the concerts on Saturday night and not Friday night, please? Saturday. Because <laughs> Saturday <laughs> night is a lot easier for old people like me and my <laughs> wife to be child-free. Oh, uh, <laughs> it is. Although having said that, we're clearly not the key demographic anymore because um, we see an event every year now at PAX has been running for the last three PAXs. And can I urge you, if you come to PAX, you need to see the dark room, which is usually on the Saturday night. And obviously the word's getting around because in the main theatre this year, that uh, that seats 1,200 people and it was full. Mm. Um, whereas previously it's been about half full. Um, and it is a hilarious, it's like a live, live text adventure. It's, um, it is wonderful. It's, it is. It's filthy as. So <laughs> if, if you're delicate, if you've got delicate sensibilities, don't go. It's pretty filthy. Don't bring your 12-year-old um, to it. Do not. <laughs> this year someone bought their 12-year-old uh, and we were looking at each other going, we couldn't bring our son in here. No. Jesus. Just, it's absolutely filthy, um, which, you know, we love. Mm. And you just spend, you know, an hour and a half in hysterics. It's the best. It's worth the admittance. For, to packs just for this because I'd happily pay 50 bucks to oh, 100 bucks just to go to this. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's really, really good. And obviously the big crowd means more fun. Mm -hmm. um, but at the beginning, every time he puts it out there to see the ages of who he's dealing with, which obviously helps him in yeah. putting the show together because he's, he's very quick-witted. Um, and so he asks at the beginning, all right, who was born in the 1960s? And this time there was like two people who went, mm. yeah. And they said, and who were born in the 70s? It was probably about 10 of us or less mm. that just went, yeah. Oh. Mm. <laughs> so, 
And then when he said who were born in the 2000s, well, that was a bit disturbing. Everyone. So, uh, which yeah. was everyone, basically. So, yeah, we're not the key demographic. <laughs> I understand. But Pax, some of us old timers like gaming too. Uh, although I will say that this time they did put the, um, the uh, what do they call it? The classic console what do they call it? The, which we just call the retro area. Mm. Um, the classic gaming area was actually in the main hall. And so it was easier to get to and it was a, a slightly bigger space than they've had because in the last couple of years, they put it right down the back in the corner, <laughs> which kind of told you uh, how, how much they liked it. Uh, but this time it was in the main hall. And I think it was just because they wanted to kill some space in the main yeah. hall. Um, and I also think it's because the tabletop area has exploded so much. They just wanted all the tabletop area. It, it now takes up about probably a good two-thirds of the entire um, back-end space of PAX, which is just extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it. Um, so areas that used to be quite large, like the LAN area and the Bring Your Own PC, have significantly reduced in size, and now it's just all just tables and people just... Board gaming and card gaming, which is awesome. That's great. Um, and it should flex to what people want, for sure. Um, so we weren't completely out because we're in the main hall hanging out with the oldies. Um, and it's also good because it means a couple of people bought in younger kids and the younger kids were kind of enjoying some of the old games and that was that was fun. Um, but it was also right next to the eSports arena. So, <laughs> so it was pretty noisy. Um, and that's okay. Uh, I think uh, Nintendo ran a Splatoon and a Mario Kart championship this year, and I think that was a really good idea. I think it was really good, good production. It was really fun. So um, that was good because the esports arenas tend to be pretty PC heavy and really, you know, it attracts all the League of Legends type people. Um, so it was fun to see something that had a bit broader appeal and appeal for kids as well. Um, the other thing I'd mention, apart from the fact that we're old people going there, is that uh, Sunday was traditionally a day where we've always taken our son. So we, uh, well, Matt, you go on the Friday and hang out. I, uh, we go together on the Saturday and then the three of us go on the Sunday uh, because Sunday's always been smaller crowds and it's just a bit easier to get around with a kid. Not this year. This year was full on. So the crowds, they're definitely, the people are coming back. Um, and Sunday was really busy this time. So, um, so obviously, uh, the future for PAX is probably pretty good in Melbourne. Um, I think they signed a new contract last year or something, didn't they? And there's a new uh, Petty Arcade don't run it anymore. They, they, they outsourced it, yeah. yeah. Um, so while we're talking about board games, I just want to give a shout-out to one of our friends, uh, Jack Felipe who uh, put out a board game at PAX. He launched it there. Uh, it's called Sudden Conflict, I believe. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, I will post a link or something in the video or in the description. You should check it out. He has poured his life into it for the past couple of years since COVID started. Uh, and by all uh, all the things I've heard, it's, it's quite good. So... Uh, Shout out to Jack, and I wish him nothing but the best with his board game. And the last thing I'll say about PAX is it is great to see 
the homegrown indie area growing. So the area that they put aside for games that are made in Australia or New Zealand has just gotten bigger and bigger and the quality of them seems to be getting better and better. So I'm glad they haven't skimped on that part of the uh, expo. Yeah, agreed. And all that's doing is that gets to grow into the areas where Sony and Microsoft used to be. Um, but it's not a terrible thing. It's I'd, not a terrible yeah, thing I don't need to go to a convention to see a game that's coming out in a week or, that I could play at home, you know? I'd rather yeah. see something interesting. Which is what they normally do. And that's what Nintendo did this year. It was all about Super Mario Wonder um, mm. and also the new Pokemon DLC. Um, so they heavily focused on that. Um, and Wonder was released one week later. So I don't know about you, but I'm not queuing to play a game that's coming out in a week. Fair um, enough. But, you know, Nintendo, it was good to see them back this year because, you know, they did, they gave out some freebies. It was a nice, big, really good-looking store. They had some exclusive merchandise this year. Mm -hmm. That's what they should be doing. Um, and if they're clever, they can make their money back Easy. by having yeah. merchandise. So it was, it was pretty clever. They had a really well-designed store. It was fun. Um, we did just look at it from the outside, though, because, yeah, it was pretty busy. Um, mm. And like I said, Wonder came out a week later, so... Yeah. Yeah. But it was a good time. Good time had by all at PAX. We'll good be back again. Good to see the mates and good to take the family too. Yes. Yes, that's right. We saw a lot of friends this year. It was great. Mm. So yes. that brings us into our next segment, right? What are we playing? Mm. Mm. You you can go first. You've you've been hard at work. Oh, not really. I uh, since the last podcast, uh, I picked up Advance Wars 1 and 2, the remake. Uh, for Switch, and I finished both. Um, they're not enormous games. I think I spent maybe 25 hours in the first one, but significantly more for the second. I think the second was maybe 50 to 60 hours. Um, really fun, just good fun. Um, enough challenge that it's not pick up and play, but basic enough that it's really good for, uh, you know, it's a bit of my first turn-based strategy type game. Got nice visuals, it runs really nicely. Um, it's got catchy music that our son has been singing to me all the time because it really, <laughs> he found it very catchy. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, really fun. I had a good time with it. Um, and, you know, if they decided to keep producing Advance Wars, I would happily pick them up. I only ever played the original. I never played the second one on the, uh, oh gosh, well, for the Advance, yeah. Um, I only played the first and I remember really enjoying it. So I had a really fun time playing it the second time. Um, but yeah, since then I finished those two and then I picked up 13 Sentinels that I've been meaning to play for some time and it's been sitting there on my pile. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty wild game. Um, it's different. It's There's not much in it. I don't know. I reckon 25 hours might, might just about do it. Um, but it's a very strange game that... Um, it's about 60 to 70 percent visual novel and about 30 or so percent uh, real-time strategy. It's, 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 it's a strange mix and I can't unpack it fully, but um, it's by Vanillaware, so it looks very nice. It looks very Vanillaware, that's for sure. Uh, it, it feels very Vanillaware. Um, the story's great. It's, you know, a bunch of teenagers in Tokyo... Um, and it's sci-fi. Uh, it's about, you know, a, a mech invasion of Tokyo in the future. Um, but 
there's lots of time travel and lots of intrigue and romance and all that kind of stuff that uh, you'd expect from something produced uh, in Japan based on school students. Uh, it's a really good story. Uh, you have to navigate through the visual novel by choosing paths and you have the opportunity to travel back. And what you need to do is find a word that they've said, a keyword, and then use that word to unlock branching paths. Um, and then once you've unlocked all the branching paths, you can, um, you know, complete a, a part of the story and then it unlocks other parts of the story and you need to see it through the eyes of all 13 main characters. Um, and there's a lot to unlock. And you've, sometimes you've got to go back and do the same level, the same story over and over to try and trigger the keyword coming out. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, the real-time strategy part, you have to shoot down the mechs. You're in a mech, you've got to shoot down the other mechs. You're in a mech called a Sentinel. You've got to shoot down the other mechs. It's Visually, I quite like the look. It's a bit of kind of early 2000s cyberpunky kind of, you know, look about it. Um, the the real-time strategy is okay. It's, uh, it, it, yeah, you've, you've just basically got to shoot down all the mechs and you just have different series of weapons. So it's not very complex. It's not a lot to it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. They lose all their clothes when they get in the Sentinel. I still, they've not adequately explained why that happens. Uh, so that's fun. So it shows up little animations of them controlling their Sentinel and they've got no clothes on. Okay. Uh, wow. But yeah, it's it's an interesting game. I should probably, will finish it in the next week and uh, and then I'll, um, I still haven't played Zelda, but I'm probably going to move on to Octopath Traveler 2 or maybe I won't because Persona 5 Tactica is coming out in about two weeks and I really do want to get cracking on that. Um, and I also have on pre-order the... A remake of the second Star Ocean game, which is coming out on Switch. So I'm not sure which is going to get the go, uh, but but we'll see. Oh, but anyway, you're yeah. playing a lot more. Yeah, but I, I just want to say, I, when I walked past and saw you playing 13 Sentinels, I think the first thing I said is, this looks like a Vanillaware game. And, yeah, it, and it, it turns out that they did work on it. So um, the visual novel parts of it, at least, definitely have a particular look to the characters um, if you're familiar with like, uh, Dragon's Crown or, um, Odin Sphere or something like that, that Vanillaware have worked on, it's definitely got that sort of like hand-drawn kind of art style to it. It's kind of hard to explain. It's not like Dragon's Crown where everyone is, um, voluptuously, um, endowed. Uh, it's oh, more... Oh, there is one. Oh, there is one? Oh, okay. There's one character who is a teacher in the game as well as the uh, the lead of this secret kind of agency that's mm. leading the charge against these evil mechs. Mm. And that teacher is very well endowed. And, yeah, look... Let, I went to the wrong school, apparently. That's, that's a It's shame. always a teacher, isn't it? Well, isn't it always a teacher? Well, in the games, they're always teenagers, right? So the teacher mm. has to be the adult. So And mm. they've always got to have the hots for teacher. So, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, I... One of the characters, by the way, mm. is out of all the teenage girls, there's one character who talks really high like this. Okay, don't do, you... do that because your audio is is <laughs> uh, 
cutting out constantly because it thinks you're going too high to be talking. <laughs> That's what it's like. So there's always these teenage characters who are infantilized, and unfortunately, there is That's not one good. of those characters, which is a bit annoying. <laughs> like Charlotte, that we've mentioned in mm. previous games, there's a teenager who talks like an is she like three thousand years old by any chance or? no oh, okay. well not that i've revealed as yet she seems fairly tangential to the to the whole plot and story but she is one of the 13 so mm. uh anyway there is 13 sentinels there's not like there are 13 10? sentinels and 13 characters okay. who have a sentinel there's no secret um, 14th sentinel oh i hope not <laughs> Um, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> by the way, during that conversation there, my Alexa decided to present uh, the movie The Sentinel to me for some reason. <laughs> uh, very interesting. Uh, <laughs> I must have triggered a keyword. Um, so what, what have I been playing? I have finished... No, I haven't finished. I've played a couple of games. I've finished a couple of games since the last episode. Um, probably the, the biggest of those would be Starfield, Starfield came out eventually, and um, I was very eager to play it. I really do enjoy some of Bethesda's games, uh, especially like Oblivion, Morrowind, um, Skyrim. That that setting always, I've enjoyed those games. I enjoyed Fallout 3. I did not enjoy Fallout 4 uh, for some reason. Star Citizen, Star Citizen, sorry, Starfield. Uh, yeah, you can see how I get confused. Starfield, uh, it's, I think they were overly ambitious on what their engine could deliver on. Uh, there's a lot going on in the game. The, there's some fantastic um, things like shipbuilding and whatnot uh, that you could put a lot of time and effort into. I think the combat is quite good. The guns feel good. Uh, the thing I don't like is, and I guess this is very difficult, is the feeling of traversing space. Uh, space is big, and I suppose you don't want to be looking at the same thing for 10 hours while you fly to the moon. But um, every time you want to go somewhere, and, and while there is some fast travel to help with this, um, you know, it's like, all right, I want to go from the planet I'm on to another planet. Uh, it's the first time I've ever done it, so I've got to have a cutscene go from when I travel from the planet to space, from the space that I'm in to around the other planet, and then again from that to the planet. And that's a lot of loading. You know, it's fast loading, but it's still loading. It's got a cutscene every bit of the way, and it's just like, I just want, to f want it to feel seamless. You know, say what you want about Star Citizen, but I can fly from space to a planet and back and go into a building without loading. You know, if I land on the planet and then I go in the building in this game, half the time I have to load. And it's just load, 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 load. And I get that their engine is very good at keeping track of millions of things that you move around. And if you want to put cheese everywhere, the cheese will remain where it was for all eternity. And, and that's like some impressive stuff, right? Keeping track of all that cheese. But um, I just want to fly my ship and land and go in a building without loading and I know that's a lot to ask but it just kind of feels like Fallout and the Elder Scrolls games right they got the same foundational engine behind them and they still feel like they're different games this game felt like it was Fallout 
to me for some reason. I don't know why, but um, it, it just it didn't scratch the itch that I was hoping it would. It, it's still a good game. You know, I give it a good 7.5 out of 10. There's my arbitrary uh, rating scheme. But it wasn't what I hoped it would be. And I don't know if that's on me or, or what, or what they, you know, hyped it up to be. Um, it's I, I, not a very seamless experience, is it, where if you have to do so much travel and then that tra- all that travel involves is loading at the other end and mm. it's a real stop-start, it's not very, yeah. you know, you, yeah. There are other games out there, yeah, like uh, No Man's Sky that will let you go from space to a planet and back and forth without loading. Um, Star Citizen will let you do it. Uh, I don't know why they... I guess the engine just wasn't up to it or something and, you know, you've only got so much time and so much money and, and whatnot, but I just... I was a little bit disappointed. Um, I've also been... I played and finished Spider-Man 2 on the PS5. Uh, it takes, you know, the first game was good. This one's better. Like the first one suffered from, uh, the side missions being very samey, do the same thing over and over again. Um, this one has a lot more variety. The story is good. The graphics are good. Um, maybe there's a little bit too much side content to do. They could have, you know, pulled it back a little bit. Uh, they've gotten very good. Sony have gotten very good at this cinematic single player game thing. Uh, you know, with God of War and Spider-Man. I just, I don't know if it's because, you know, I've played through all the Arkham games. I feel like the combat in Spider-Man still isn't as good as those ones. Um... It's it's a very good game. I, I do highly recommend it. Uh, but it, it feels like... You know when you go and watch a Marvel movie and you come out of it and you go, well, that was fun. But I don't feel like it's had a major impact on my life. Or maybe... Mo- it seems it seems It seems like it does to a lot of people. But yeah, it's, it's, it's nice fluff, but it's not a, a hearty meal. Um, More style than substance. Yeah. yeah, and look, there are some really good story beats in there where I was like, oh, I can, I can feel some emotion here. You've done a really good job. Um, but I think, you know, if, if, say, I looked at the last God of War game versus this, I enjoyed the last God of War game, even though if mechanically it may not have been a smoother game, it still felt like a, a product that left me satisfied at the end. Whereas with Spider-Man, I was like, okay, that was a thing. Uh, I had fun, but that was a thing. Uh, and maybe I'm just jaded. Um, I'm playing Alan Wake 2 right now, which is 13 years I've been waiting for that sequel. And I'm very glad to have, have gotten it um, in that time. The Chinese I, democracy. I got married. I had a child. He's 11 years old. Um, you know, I've had a whole career in the time that it took to get a sequel to Alan Wake. But uh, that that's interesting. I'm enjoying that. Those games have very good writing. They take, you know, they probably more than... Uh, I know it's a game about a writer, but he's a bad writer. So, you know, it, takes, it, it probably takes some effort to write badly, um, successfully. Uh, Remedy Games, they're the studio that puts out 
Alan Wake, they've put out Control and in the past the original couple of Max Payne's and stuff like that. And they did Quantum Break. And there's this whole extended universe um, that they do, you know, before the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, the, the Remedy Universe. And mm-hmm. so the interplay between the worlds of Control and the worlds of Alan Wake and one of the lead characters in these games is played by the guy who played Max Payne. You know, he's playing a cop, you know, a noir cop. Um, it, it's just brings a smile to my face. Um, they're doing some really interesting things with the world. Like, um, you can sort of reconstruct or deconstruct the world with, with Alan's writing. So, you know, like you'll, you'll flip in. Um, so you'll have a scene, you know, you're in the game, you're playing, but it's a scene in his book and in the scene he has ideas and you can flip them in and out. Right. So you could say, oh, what would be like if, if this scene was about the FBI and blah, 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 or what if it was about this murder cult or what if it was about this and the world around you that you're in will, will manipulate and change based on that kind of stuff. And it happens in real time. It's, it's quite impressive. Um, I'm really enjoying it. It's probably the best looking game I've ever played. Um, and I guess that's because, you know, they went into partnership with, um, epic slash unreal to to make this game so they probably had people on hand that they could talk to 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 say hey let's do some cool technology stuff with this game uh but definitely definitely big fan of the first alan wake very disappointed there's no physical version uh digital only the horrible digital future is coming for us all um and i do not like it Oh. <laughs> but those yeah. are the games I've been playing. I do look forward to getting to into Super Mario Wonder, just like I look forward to one day getting into um, Tears of the Kingdom when our son gives up. We did buy a new Switch. We have our third Switch now to try and make it so we can all play games. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but that's what I've been playing. Mm. Yeah, he's in there playing Super Mario Wonder as we speak. He's nearly finished it. It's not as not as uh, meaty as I first thought. Uh, I guess they kind of put it out there that there's just so much variety and uh, uh, you can go back and lots of replay value, go back and play levels with different badges and stuff like that to get more out of the game. But uh, he smashed it. I could finish <laughs> Mario 3 in an afternoon, you know. It's, platformers are short games. So. Oh, that's Mario 3. And also, I hate that pirate ship level. It sucks. They're great. Um, the whole game's perfect. It's perfect, baby. It's perfect. Oh, Mario 3. Oh, Forg- it's a formative game for me. Oh, my gosh. Forget uh, about played- Tetris. Mario 3 is the perfect game. Oh, Mario 3. I played the shit out of that. Just about five years after everyone else. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Mario Wonder is... Um, looks like fun I, I personally won't play it because platformers are not my jam but uh but i'm glad our son's getting a bit out of it because we weren't really sure because he much prefers 3d gaming um and action adventure and stuff and platforming is not really uh necessarily his favorite he'll give it a go though but yeah he's enjoying this i think he really enjoys what they've done with changing some of the essential elements of the game like having bendy warp pipes and having badges where you turn into, you know, where you can blow bubbles or turn into elephants. He's enjoying all that. So, uh, yeah. It looks good. looks yeah, great. Looks, looks I really enjoyed nice. I played a couple. I played the first four levels or something, and I just thought they were brilliant 
mechanics that they had brought in. So they they didn't phone this one in at least. No. But they've also removed bop, bop. Oh, thank God. I don't want Dancing Coopers. Get the bop, bops out of my game. Oh, but they do have wowie, zowie. Yeah, my son, <laughs> our son does not like wowie, zowie. Wowie, zowie. Oh. Hey, it's a great pavement album. I'm what? all for wowie, zowie. Well, you know, they got rid of Charles Martinet, so, you know, they needed a oh. new catchphrase. Mamma Mia, maybe it's too racially... And I think it's where he's yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, so now they've got a flower that talks to you, and he's got. I like that. Voice. The flower's great. The flower's uh, like tripping. <laughs> yeah, mate. The whole game's tripping. Uh, it's pretty wild. It's good fun. It's good fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway, we've been playing a lot. Obviously, mm. we had a bit of a extended break between podcasts. But um, do you want to uh, do you want to talk about uh, our favourite segment? What came in the mail, but it didn't come from China this no. time. What um, came in the mail? Look, there's, there's an essential part to this process, and is that there? is when we say what came in the mail is the element of surprise. The only way this can be nominated for this, which is basically everything that gets ordered, yep. is that I need to be unaware that it's coming. Look at this. Look at this. This is what came in the mail. This is a... Uh... Pentium, maybe Pentium 2, I think. It's like 500-ish megahertz. And look at this. Is this not the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? This thing here, it has uh, like three ISA ports, three A, um, or three PCI ports, AGP. Oh, it is, it is the granddaddy of old PC gaming. And it's long been a dream of mine to revisit that period of history in computing that uh, I spent a lot of time playing. And you need very specific configurations of things, very specific sound cards, very specific video cards that apparently nowadays are really expensive on uh, eBay. Don't go looking for them. Um, I look forward to the future parcels in the mail. Uh, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I don't know about you, Angela. Actually, I do know because we've talked about this in the past. But I heavily, like, when I was growing up, probably the first bit of computing I did outside of, like, the Atari 2600, gaming, sorry, than the Atari 2600 and whatnot, it was kind of like on a Commodore 64, you know? like So that that's a personal computer. And then I switched back to consoles for like your NES and your Super NES. And, but then there was this period in my early teens where I really got into PC gaming. And, you know, it was just... PC gaming was difficult. <laughs> it was difficult because nothing would ever work. You'd have to have a boot disk or you'd have to edit config files or you'd have to sit there and change interrupts and direct memory access channels and, and stuff like that just to get a game to work. And getting one game to work would break another game. But but the kind of games that were coming out were really fun. Like, you know, your first kinds of real-time strategy games were coming out back then. And, you know, you hadn't seen anything like it before. Games like Civilization and June 2 and, and that were coming out. And, you know, you were starting to get finally side scrolls like commander keen and then you get wolfenstein and doom and 
And it was just a really exciting time. So there was a whole point there where up until like the Nintendo 64, I stopped playing console games. Uh, you had an Amiga, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, we had Amiga. Like, to be fair, PC gaming was the... Uh, it was a privilege afforded very few people. Um, and our family were one of those families that were not afforded the privilege of PC gaming, um, which I think I would have enjoyed a lot more if it wasn't something that was reserved for. I had two friends who had very rudimentary PCs and a couple of bits of shareware, and that's basically as good as it got. I had a friend who had Wolfenstein, Ooh. and so we did we did get to play that, um, and that was completely a pirated copy. So... Um, yeah, we had an Amiga because remember, we're talking about like late 80s, early 90s. PCs were bought into homes for children for educational purposes. They were not supposed to be for gaming. So the kids wanted it for gaming. The adults went, no, we're going to bring this in because they're going to need to do their homework on it at some point. And they can play a game or two, but but it's really for educational purposes. And so um, when shareware kind of started erupting, parents were okay with that because they're just like, oh, this is really cheap. Okay. And, you know, they'll still play a game, even if it's only the first part or, you know. Um, and, you know, people got pretty savvy and started finding ways to be able to access games in ways that they shouldn't. Or, you know, someone sharing a key, I seem to recall being a thing. Um, but... Yeah, not everyone had one. And we had an Amiga, and we got an Amiga fairly late in the Amiga process, and the idea was is it was for educational purposes only. So we had one game, which was some kind of racing game. I don't know. If we find it, we'll put a still of it here. What do you <laughs> so remember I about I want to know. What was it? Oh, it was a Tell Lambo. You drove a Lambo. Was it, I was it that test much. drive? Was it? Was oh, it shit, I can't Lotus Esprit Challenge? Was oh, it? my God, it was. It was Lotus ah. Esprit Challenge. That was the Accolade. game. Yeah, there you that, go. That was the game. Very impressive game, but I had zero interest in car games, in racing mm -hmm. games. So, yeah, that was the game. Um, and, yeah, great. Um, and then we went on a trek once uh, to... St Kilda to a very dodgy apartment. Um, for those of you familiar with Melbourne, St Kilda has always traditionally been a little bit dodgy. And this guy was punching out, you know, little Amiga floppies, little pirated Amiga floppies from his home that he would get via his modem, which was the old school one with, you know, the telephone handle. And we picked up a few pirated games for $5 each that, you know, we got through the trading post, which was a little... We do not endorse piracy in this... No, we don't. But we are talking about something from the, you know, the late 80s, early 90s here. And uh, the Trading Post newspaper was uh, oh, definitely, man. that was the way to get this stuff back in the day. So we, so as a result, I did get to play Batman the movie and Batman, I think it was called The Dark Knight Detective, which was the more cartoony Batman and then Batman mm -hmm. the movie, which I think was an ocean game. Yes. Um, and... Uh, Wonder Boy Monsterland that I played the living shit out it's of. It's a great game. I, I played it again and again and again. And then I started speed running it, which I didn't realize <laughs> at the time, but that was, that's what I used to do. Now we can see how, you know, why speed running is so popular. I didn't even realize I was doing it. But yeah, we, I didn't, that was the only PC I had access to, and it wasn't really for gaming. And they, they were the only games I had. So, um, 
I, I kind of, I'm jealous of that because oh, some of those games I would have played so much. But basically I'd go to my friend's house and all she'd have would be worms. <laughs> or James Pond, the first oh, two. Oh, man. Robo, <laughs> Robocod. Yes. Robocod. <laughs> that was James or, or Pod too, Duke right? Newcomb. We'd play a little bit of Duke Nukem. And that was basically it because, yeah, it's not something that many people had. I heard that John Cena is going to play John, uh, Duke Nukem in the movie. I think that's actually good cast. Uh, good is, casting. That, that is good casting. I hope it's R-rated. <laughs> I, I hope they realise, you know, that Duke Nukem is not a character of the now. It is a caricature of a caricature and they play it correctly. But, uh, yeah. yeah, John yeah, Cena, I could, I could see that. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess you're recapturing your PC youth with your little computer project oh, it's, there. It's great. I... I'm having the time of my life, except for when things don't work and I'm having to juggle IRQs and stuff. And then it sucks. We don't realize how good we've got it now. I know people go, oh, PC gaming, that's for big nerds who want to edit any files and stuff like that. Man, nowadays you just plug a mouse in or, you know, you've got a wireless mouse, you plug something into the computer, it just works. Back in, back in the old days, you plug something in and Windows would just yell at you and go, what the hell is this? You know? Mm. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, anyway, big mail deliveries. That. Yeah, I was on a meeting here, and the front door opens, and a very large box came in, and oh. I heard frenzied unwrapping and pulling open of this box. I'm like, what is this? I don't recall ordering anything this big. So the fact that you managed to order that and get it in the house <laughs> without me having any idea. That's that's good. Mission that, success. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Mm. Mm. So what about yeah. what about in your side of the world though? Have you got? Uh, I know you haven't got anything interesting in the mail lately, but uh, you know, got maybe uh, some updates on the soy sauce ordeal or something like that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just mentioned that last time. I just want to let you know that. Sushi Sushi did a really good job of not giving me soy sauce. They were asking me for a while. And then yesterday we ordered sushi and I opened up the box and there was soy sauce in there. And she was angry. I was fucking enraged. Yeah, it's the so little things. <laughs> and that Sushi Sushi sucks though. They don't do the nori right. You know, and it's chewy. I hate that. Uh, sushi, yeah. sushi Sushi sucks anyways. So, yeah. yeah, they do suck. It's just the convenience of it. And, you know. But I was very annoyed to find that they've, they've resumed putting soy sauce back into, my, into the box of sushi. Hmm. Cut it out, man. I'm over it. It's bad for the environment. I don't need soy sauce that badly. I don't know. Maybe we should get people to vote. Do you put soy sauce on your hand rolls? Sometimes. You, you're, more, you're more than welcome to hit us up on our email. Yeah, we'll drop the, we'll drop the email address uh, at the end of the, um, the podcast and, and along with our... You know, Instagrams and whatnot, but we we love to hear from you guys. So, um, if at any point there's uh, feedback you've got for us, or you want to reach out and tell us how wrong we were with something that we said, <laughs> you know, maybe you were hugely into Mac gaming because you were one of those weirdos, you know, and you really and you really love Shadowrun. <laughs> reach out and tell Shadowrun's great by the way Shadowrun's Shadow supposed to be really good though yeah it's, it's great it's, yeah. it's fantastic but you know it's a game that came out on the Mac first 
you know, maybe maybe you were really looking forward to Halo coming out on the Mac when you saw it announced at Macworld, and then you know Microsoft came and bought the company. Tell us how that made you feel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Carmen San Diego. Hey, we saw Carmen San Diego at PAX. I we was... see Carmen San Diego every year, it's and a... I'm pretty sure it's the same chick. It's an easy, easy thing. You get red, like you know, a trench coat and a fedora, and you're sorted. Yeah. I'm always a bit disturbed about how many people are perving at her, though. She's walking around. Well, she it's never really did anything for me. <laughs> uh, well, apparently she does does things for other people. But, yep, Carmen San Diego every year. Uh, <laughs> Should we mention our sound bites before we leave for today? What yes, sound of bites, um, What sound bites we came up with. So, you know, obviously in the intervening time, we always try and think of a few that, uh, that um, Resonate. we've enjoyed. They resonate mm-hmm. with us. Resonate, that's right. Yeah. And uh, while we were at PAX, I was reminded of Altered Beast and, uh-huh. of course, the absolutely classic Wise from Your Grave. And I've forever wondered why the gods have lisps. <laughs> Rise from Your Grave. Uh, I just forever wondered why anyone would play Altered Beast. I'm sorry, oh. I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get no, it. It's, it's sucks. No, you you could play Karnov instead, and that's terrible. But what, why would you play Altered Beast? I don't get it. Oh, Altered Beast is terrible. <laughs> hey, 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 Ange, let's, let's do a hypothetical for a second. Imagine you were going to put out a console and you were going to pack a game into your console to make a really good impression. Would it be Altered Beast? Not in any circumstances. Look... Give them some credit. They rectified it later. They packed Sonic in. That's fair. Sonic's a good game. Um, mm. But Sonic was not out when the Mega Drive launched, and therefore we all got saddled with Altered Beast. I'd, I'd not pack anything in rather than pack Altered Beast in. Uh, you know, I'm just saying. But, yeah, yeah that is Altered that is a classic wise from your grave. Yeah, uh, what's the other thing? That, oh, there's a bit of power up. Power up. Yeah, I think as yeah, yeah. So the voice, I think the voice was supposed to impress people, but uh, maybe next time get a uh, if you're going to digitize a voice, maybe get a voice actor that doesn't have a lisp. Mm. Oh look, I think that, that we might be bordering on the racist there. I'm sure it was a Japanese dude saying it. So you oh, know. okay. Well, okay, fair enough if they can't say ah, but you yeah. know, yeah, it was uh, going to go. With it was that. good fun. Um, it was good fun, but. There are some that, that you don't think about often, right? Like fighting games have been around for a long time, right? And and there's just some classics that that have come about in the fighting games, right? So like I think you suggested, you know, flawless victory. Flawless victory. And and perfect from from Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. Those are things that will never leave my brain. Uh, you know, your Hadoukens and that are uh, one thing, but just, you know, finish him, that kind of thing. That's, you could say that to anyone and they'd know what that was from. Finish him! Yeah, and Street Fighter's got loads of them, really. Uh, Street Fighter's got endless because, of course, it's the first fighting game, I, uh, I think, where they had to shout their, shout their special move. <laughs> yeah. Every single character had to shout their special move. And then you spent a lifetime trying to work out what the hell they were saying. Mm. Um, yeah, so, and 
I don't know, I think it took me a good five years before I finally established that, yeah, it's called Hadouken. <laughs> that is what it is. It's a word, apparently. And, yeah, because we had all kinds of bets going about what the hell that was. But as it turns out, it was Hadouken. Well, when you don't speak Japanese, you don't know what they're saying, right? So yeah. I just remember being at the arcade and we'd always go, what is that word? I just remember being at the arcade and people would come up with all kinds of like fake uh, gossip about these games. Because, you know, like with Mortal Kombat, you'd have fatalities, but they wouldn't tell you how to do the fatalities and things like that, right? So there'd be like some kid going, oh, I saw them do this and he ripped the heart out of that guy. And that was kind of yeah, cool. And you'd be like, oh, can you trigger that? Oh, mm. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's really secret. And then other people would just make up nonsense. They'd be like, I saw this guy playing Guile and he pulled out a gun and shot the other guy at the end. And I'm like, what? You're full of crap. No, nah, man, I saw it. And there's a secret character. It's like Crocodile Dundee, you know. You go to it. It goes, Australia. And then you fly to Australia. And there's like, you know, Crocodile Dundee. And I'm like, what the hell are you? You guys are on drugs. But I, I miss that about, you know, when that's something that's sort of like when Dark Souls came out and people are talking about all the weird esoteric stuff that happens in the game. Like, you believe that anything could happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, true. That's true. I... I remember when they said that um, they started talking about things like babalities, and I didn't quite oh. believe that. Got to say though, Mortal Kombat jumped the shark. Oh, when long, came long in. <laughs> time ago. Like I've played a lot of Street Fighter in my day, a lot, and I've played a fair bit of Mortal Kombat. Right, as a fighting game, Street Fighter is a much more mechanically complex and exciting and fun game to play. Uh, whereas I understand that Mortal Kombat has much more mainstream appeal because of its visceral, um, you know, fatalities violent. and stuff. Yeah. It's violent. But, and also they just generally put together a decent, like, fun storyline single-player game, whereas Street Fighter dropped that for a very long time up until the most recent one. Uh, but, yeah, there's just something about Mortal Kombat after Mortal Kombat 2 that it was never the same. It was just too absurd. It was all over the place. I don't know. Babalities, friendships. Oh, friendships. Oh. I don't want any of that shit in my game. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, by the way, if anyone has played Mortal Kombat 1, which I think is a pretty interesting title. <laughs> if anyone's played Mortal Kombat 1, as in the game that the just one. released. Yes. The new one, yes. The new one. Uh, please let us know because I don't know if we're planning on playing Mortal Kombat 1. It's been an exceptionally fun little violent, violent bloodfest the last the last couple of instalments, so I'm interested to hear. I want to say I really appreciated that for whatever that last Mortal Kombat was, that they went out and they did like all these packs as DLC where they got the original actors to come yeah. back. Like Christopher Lambert and... The guy who played um, Shang Tsung, sorry, I can't remember his name, Kerry something or whatever, he, he's great. He is my Shang Tsung. Um, they got... Forever. What was the the lady who played Sonya Blade? Uh, oh, oh, I cannot remember the name, but she did a much better job than uh, Ronda Rousey did voice, voicing that character. Um you know, I, I just really appreciated that kind of nostalgia thing. Like, that's that's DLC done well. Um, yeah, or, you know, have an Arnie. Yeah. You know, 
that type of thing. That's cool. They That's did a good cool DLC. Idea. Yeah, Terminator, mm. uh, Robocop. You know, you've got mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You've got Stallone as Rambo. It's so kind cool. of fun. Um, I like that more than when they did, like, the Alien and the Predator and stuff because they're not really characters. They don't have, you know, no. any charm to them. You know, yeah, they're monsters. Like, you know, mm. you do Freddy and Jason and all that kind of stuff. But, but, yeah, I mean, Robocop is pretty cool, right? And there's a cool Robocop game coming out soon that I'm really probably going to buy, uh, really interested in. While we're talking about voice sound bites, I really like the voice sound bites in Wolfenstein. You know, when you would open a door and you just hear that door clank open and then you'd hear the guy yell at you in German on the other side and yeah. the dog barking and yes, oh, yeah, it's yes. just those the those dog the, barking oh that was like trauma you'd hear the dog you're like oh shit <laughs> yeah yeah those are those are fantastic sound effects right um so i think great sound effects foley or whatever you want to call it in a in a in a game goes a long way uh well we were talking about alien trilogy today because i had a i bought a saturn and that was the game i bought with it mm -hmm. for launch and um i'll never forget when you're you're walking around and all you hear is the dee -dee -dee -dee, just like the movie Motion right and tracker, then you hear yeah. that and i remember playing it at like three in the morning and shitting myself I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play that sound effect over the top of what you just did because again, your microphone cut out. So, so visually, all I saw you do is make this weird, yeah, like death rattle face, and uh, I know exactly what you meant. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember. I don't know if you ever played Doom back in the day. People used to do uh, like aliens uh, mods. What they called them, wad files for Doom. Yeah, and that mm. was so good. They were some of the best. And it's all about those sound effects, right? Like you can close your eyes and you can hear the sound of the alien hissing or whatever you want to call it um, happening. The sound of the doors opening and closing. Uh, it, it's there's not enough credit given to really good audio in games, and you know, like for for generations now, we've had you know seven point one surround sound in video games and stuff like that. But there's still something about particular unique audio clips that aren't reused everywhere that that just really add something to a game i'm trying to think if i can think of any off the top of my head but like alien isolation did it so well like that whole world it wasn't just the visuals but it was the sound it it sounded like what you would expect yeah mm -hmm. mm. well i think uh what do you reckon i think we've come to a close for this this edition now, there's one more thing I've got to say. There's a sound effect mm. I don't like. It's not actually a sound oh, effect. It's, yep. a, it's a thing. It's that, that thing when Sonic's about to drown underwater. Oh, trauma. And it gets faster and faster. And I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. Yes. <laughs> and then you hear the sound of Sonic drowning. <laughs> and, he, and he dies. He drowns on, on screen. Anyways. I don't want to hear that. But yes, other than that, we've come to the end of the show. So we should um, probably... Yeah, look. Our email address. Probably give you our email addresses. Uh, but first, um, 
before we give you the email address, uh, Angela, where can people find you on Instagram or Twitch? Um, on Instagram and Twitch, I am Pons Institute, one word, Pons Institute. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find me on Instagram, Matt underscore Techia, or on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash Lyriel, which is L-Y-R-I-E-L-L. -L. And if you want to write into us, the email address is theforevergrindpodcast at gmail.com. We'll put a link under there. Write in if you've got anything you would like us to talk about or you've got some feedback on anything we've said today. Uh, we would love to hear it and we will discuss it in our next episode. Until then, it's probably yeah. time to say thanks for watching and uh, Bye for now. you got it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye.